Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. If you just have your brand out there, if, they, if they're not ready to buy right now, if they don't have the budget right now, if you have the proper messaging in front of them and that content and that thought leadership, then when they, when they do have the budget and when they are ready to make a decision, you're top of mind. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. It's October which means the start of a new federal government fiscal year for my listeners in the United States. Crossing that finish line this year has been difficult. And if you're feeling drained, because frankly, the last eight months have been exhausting, or even unsure what the next year is going to bring, try doing something optimistic and strategic. This is what I've tried. Set aside some time and try working on your 2021 calendar year strategy and budget. It's helped me kind of clear my head lay out how I want to approach the next year. And it's something that I think uh, can help all of us as we look to reevaluate where we're going to spend a lot of our marketing funding. And to help inspire you to do that, I think I have a pretty great guest today, Elizabeth Clore, Chief Marketing Officer at Contegix. Elizabeth and I have been friends for the better part of two decades, and I'm glad I'm finally getting her on the show today because I know she's going to have some great insights to share with us. She brings a lot of expertise in driving growth for technology companies. And before she joined Contegix, she was the vice president of demand generation at MicroStrategy, where she was responsible for all of the global marketing programs with a heavy focus on digital channels, which I think will help us because those channels have really carried the brunt of our marketing efforts since the pandemic kicked off. She's also held leadership roles at Oracle and ClaireBridge. I've worked with Elizabeth in the past, but one of the things that brought us together as friends is our love for running. And she even published a book on the topic called Boston Bound, where she discusses the psychology of marathon running. E, welcome to the show. Thanks for making some time for us today. Thank you. So let's jump right into it. Like I just mentioned, we both have a strong love for running. I know running has helped me in a number of areas in my life, including my career, but how has it helped you? I think by far the biggest thing is the confidence that it has given me. Uh, I think really believing in yourself um, and trusting that you that you can do what you set out to do and that you can achieve your goals, whether that's the goals that you set out as part of the job that you have or your career goals to kind of get to that next level. Running really shows you that if you believe in yourself, really anything is possible. No, I completely agree. And one of the things that I think it's it's taught me as I've gone, especially when you're running distances like a marathon, is everybody just gets to that point, right, where you're in a race and you would just love to be able to stop and you you don't have that choice. You have to keep going. And I think that has has pushed me not only in running, but in everything else I'm doing just to understand, you know what, if I push through that pain a little bit more, 
Um, and we all have those pain points in, in work as well. You just push through that pain point and you're, you will get to the end and there will be a break at some point. Yeah, I, I love that. It's all about the perseverance and um, just trusting in yourself that even though right now things might seem very difficult and very challenging, if you just trust yourself and keep plugging away, you will get to that finish line. Have you been running all throughout uh, the pandemic? Absolutely. And it's, you know, I've been working from home, so I haven't had a commute. It's given me a little bit more time to do so. And it's it's kind of been how I've stayed sane. The routine and the structure of waking up and having something that I have to do has, has really been helpful versus just kind of rolling out of bed in my pajamas and then hopping on that first Zoom call. So it, it has really helped me maintain a sense of of normalcy and also kept me fit despite all of the snacks and candy I've been <laughs> eating in quarantine. Yeah, I can definitely echo that. I mean, I, I haven't missed a day. And like you said, I think even beyond the physical aspect of it, it's just that mental uh, piece of it. It's something that I can look forward to every day. It's it's something that because I'm routine oriented, it's something that gives me that that marker in the day that I know I have it. So I've enjoyed it. So Tell us a little bit about your company, Contegix. What do you guys do? What, what type of programs are you running over there? Yeah. So we work with developers and IT teams, uh, primarily on cloud solutions. Uh, right now, we're really focused on the digital collaboration side of things. Uh, you may be familiar with Atlassian and their tools, Jira and Confluence. We are uh, a platinum mm -hmm. partner for experts in that. And uh, with the pandemic, these tools have been um, become just more important than ever in making sure that they're optimized and that uh, teams can work effectively as a remote workforce. So we really help uh, enterprises and, and public, center, public sector organizations optimize those tools to ensure that business can um, continue and teams can continue to innovate um, no matter where they are. So um, so as a company, we offer professional services, we offer cloud solutions, uh, a whole array of managed IT. Um, we we manage websites as well. So it's a, it's a lot of things sort of um, just dedicated to really helping developers in IT make their life easier. I didn't realize Confluence was one of your solutions. We've been using that a lot at OpenText. I've been spearheading our, our FedRAMP program. And as I've been working with our IT and product management teams and engineering teams, that's been the platform we've been leveraging. So I, I mean, I've loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Confluence and, and Jira uh, are both tools that are there that are by Atlassian. And then we are, we are a platinum partner of Atlassian. We do sell licenses and then we help with the implementation as well. So I would imagine you guys have been fairly busy uh, during the pandemic as as uh, kind of innovation has accelerated. What's been the biggest impact on your business coming out of this uh, this COVID um, period? You know, I have to say we're fortunate that we really haven't seen much of a negative impact as many others have, just because, as you said, there has been a much more reliance on um, IT solutions and collaboration solutions. So we, I mean, the biggest impact for us is, that um, we're able to better help our customers make sure that their digital tools are fully optimized. We also offer a, an outsourced IT service desk. So this has been really, really helpful for example, um, higher education institutions as all those students uh, move to online and they need help uh, getting under the system, accessing everything. Um, 
the IT departments at those colleges and universities, they don't have to worry about the influx of that. That's all outsourced to us. Um, and so we can really help ease that burden and also more importantly, help those students more easily and quicker just get to be able to use the systems that they need to access. So, and you mentioned there, there wasn't a huge impact on you guys. I would imagine there's been a positive impact for sure. But yeah. um, from a marketing perspective, what have you done to pivot some of the strategy that you were uh, trying to deploy pre-COVID, whether that was in-person events or anything other than kind of what you're seeing now? Yeah, absolutely. We we did do a lot of events. There are quite a few industry events, obviously, as you know, uh, in, in IT and in cloud and everything like that. So we did pivot. Um, and what we did was we know that there's digital fatigue. We know we were one of the companies sending all the emails. I know that the first month of the pandemic, email marketing just blew up. And, you know, we were emailing our customers once one or two or three times a week even, just staying in touch and communicating. But the biggest pivot was really to become helpful and to change our tone of the marketing. Um, we wanted to let our customers and prospects know that we're here to help. And we didn't do that by being salesy. We did that by giving them uh, content and tips and showing them that they can come to us for what they need. So we developed some marketing pieces and some blog posts and things that were just designed to be best practices and tips to really help companies um, kind of get through this difficult time. So it, it became less about us and promoting what we had to offer and more about them and giving them the tools and the content from a marketing perspective that we thought would really help them. Yeah, I think that's the right approach. And I've had a lot of conversations with some folks in leadership within government. And the biggest pattern that I've seen is they just want the organizations in private sector that they're working with to be true partners, understand their challenges and really, uh, really jump in the foxhole with them and, and help them kind of alleviate some of that, some of those pain points and, and really get them to where they're trying to go without being that, that salesy uh, group that you just mentioned. So no, I, I, I applaud you. I think that's absolutely the right way to go. Yeah. Yeah. It ha we did get a good response from that. Our emails did receive, um, decently high click throughs and opens. So we were happy to see that. So it, your role right now as, as CMO, there's, there's obviously a lot of challenges, whether it's organizational, whether it's demand generation focused, but what's the biggest challenge you have right now with your specific role and how are you overcoming it? Um, in my role, obviously heavily focused on demand generation and generating pipeline for the business. And to do that, what you need to do is really capture attention of prospects and win new logos. And that is becoming more and more difficult all the time with digital fatigue and Folks do not um, have a very limited attention span, and even more so now with all of these emails and webinars coming at them. I know I personally get like two or three emails a day advertising a webinar. I know other folks do as well. So how do you capture the attention? How do you reach out from a prospecting standpoint from the, the business development representatives? How do, you, how do you prospect? How do you cold call, cold email? Does that strategy even work anymore? So really for us, we are trying to figure out how to um, generate new leads and really get in front of, of new business and grow that pipeline. 
So what's worked for you? Have you seen, especially right now, what are some programs that have worked and frankly not worked? I, I know now has been a period where folks have just been trying new things. Uh, I know I have. Um, so what's something that's been effective and then not so effective? Yeah. So I'll start with what's not been effective because that's what the traditional model has <laughs> is, you know, we ask for our phone number on our lead generation forms and then the standard process is for the BDR to call them. And um, the fact of the matter is a lot of these people, their phone, at least when the pandemic first started, they, they use their cell phone. They're not using their business phone. They might not have um, a voice over IP phone set up on their home computer. And so they are much more hard to reach. So actually picking up the phone is not nearly as effective as it used to be. What we found is effective is um, getting an introduction. So if you have, if you're doing account-based marketing or you have a super targeted list, trying to um, figure out on LinkedIn, who do you know that, who do you know? So how can you get an introduction? Because that way you will, um, if it's coming from someone that they know, they're much more likely to respond or to open that email and to do that. So we're, we're trying that. We're, we're definitely using LinkedIn to see where we can get connections. Um, and we're also doing a lot of social awareness on LinkedIn because we know a lot of that, that use has really ramped up over the past several months. So, so I think, you know, having those connections and, and it's, it's not, it's definitely not as easy. It's going to take a lot more legwork, a lot more creativity, a lot more research, but with the um, competition for folks' attention, that is really what you need to do. And you also mentioned that in the beginning of this, you focused on producing content to help enable and support your customers and inform your prospects. Were there mediums that you felt were more successful than others? I, I've talked on here about perhaps the death of the white paper and how it's not something that people really go towards anymore. They're really looking for either something more interactive or a smaller snackable piece. But what, what did you find was the most engaged with when you deployed it? It was, well, we, we started ramping up our blog and it wasn't necessarily when we sent our blogs out via email or when we posted it from our corporate social accounts. It was when our employees, when they posted our blogs, because once again, they're the ones with the relationships. And so those are the folks that people on social media are more likely to trust and follow and listen to. So when you get your employees, particularly the sales team or the customer support team to be active on LinkedIn and amplify that content, that's where you're, that's where we're seeing the most engagement on it. I hope all the salespeople listening to this right now pay attention to what she just said, because I have been talking about this forever. And the amplification of a salesperson's network is massive. It's, it's goes beyond even what the company can do, especially from a paid strategy perspective. So I've been saying over and over again, if there's content out there, guys, post it and, and get it out to your network. So I'm glad you said that. I think it is, it's highly useful. It's highly effective. And it's something that's so simple, right? Yeah, it really is. And um, I've been at other companies where they've been larger and we've actually had software tools that automatically when we post mm -hmm. things, send an email to the sales team and then they with a click of a button, it's connected to their accounts. So you can get fancy and you can deploy an enterprise tool like that. If you're a smaller company, you can simply just send a note to the sales team and letting them know we've got a new blog post and can you please not only post it, but like, like and comment on our post so that the algorithms uh, pick up that it's, it's popular. 
So to some of the marketers out there listening, it sounds like you've had a little bit of success in getting some of your sales folks to do this. What's worked for you? Was there an enablement period for your sales team or how have you gotten them to kind of buy into to amplifying these messages? It really starts at the top. I have an excellent relationship with our chief revenue officer and he's very passionate about social media and he's very active on LinkedIn. And so he's our biggest champion and he promotes all of our content on his LinkedIn and he encourages his team to do so as well. So really, I, do, I don't have to do a lot of convincing. It's really the, the CRO who is championing it to the sales team. Well, I, I think that says a lot though. I think the relationship between marketing and sales is incredibly important, whether it's at the very top or whether it's it's the AE and just the marketing specialist. I think they need to be able to lean on each other and, and have a good relationship. So I think the fact that it starts at the top and you guys exemplify that is probably one of the reasons why it, why it works so well. Yeah, absolutely. So what's been the biggest surprise that you've seen in the last few months? Um, I think... You know, there, there's a, a lot of negativity out there in the world right now, but I've actually seen also a lot, a lot of positivity and people coming together and the connections that we've been able to make, even though we're all virtual, have been incredible. And there's a lot of businesses out there that I know are hesitant to ever allow employees to work from. At Contigix, we've always been uh, a remote. We've always had employees working all over the country out of their home offices. So we're used to that. But now we have the entire organization working from home full time still. And it's been very effective. And that's kind of been, I don't want to call it a surprise, but it, it's kind of sure. like we, we thought we'd be okay. But now we know that we are. And I think that um, what we've seen with other companies do is, is they're learning that, you know, you actually can trust your employees to be doing their job and getting done what they need to do and having effective collaboration over these digital channels. So that's kind of been a surprise. And I think that um, even in even if we come out of this pandemic, I think that working from home is going to be something that many companies are going to embrace a lot more than they did previously. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I gave a presentation actually yesterday to um, the the Department of Justice for Government of Canada. And that was what the discussion was about, was talking to these managers of, of employees and what were some of the things that I saw working across global government and what were some tips I had in terms of managing remote workforces, et cetera. Um, but it was ultimately a very positive conversation that they, they, they thought that it was something that was here to stay. Um, they think that their employees have really um, latched onto it and been more productive. But then you look at the, the, the fatigue that kind of wears on employees and their hours are getting longer. So, um, I mean, as, as chief marketing officer there and having all your, all your department um, working remote, what have been some of the things you've done to uh, make sure you're keeping that bond with your employees and also being able to make sure that their their work-life balance is still intact. Well, as a company, we are um, we've we've launched multiple initiatives. And first and foremost, we encourage our employees to take PTO. And we have an unlimited PTO policy, and that hasn't changed. And when we have our our town hall and all hands company meetings, we just remind people that they they, even though they're not going, they might not be going on a vacation, taking time off is still really important and in, in getting that work-life balance. We've also arranged um, as a company a few fitness challenges 
There was um, a challenge we had a few months ago for active minutes and um, just started today. We're doing the, the virtual American Heart Association Heart Walk. And um, leading up to that, just starting today for the next month, it'll be a step challenge where we're in teams and trying to, I guess, outstep each other and maybe out fundraise each other as well. So that, that's been fun. We've had virtual happy hours. Um, we've sent out these sort of virtual emails where everyone, you know, post a picture of your pet or post a picture of your workspace or things like that that just kind of keep everyone feeling connected. Um, so that's what we've done to kind of keep the morale high. Um, and in terms of, in terms of work-life balance, I think it's just a matter of working with your team and making sure that, that they're okay and talking to them and, and checking in with them on a personal level, asking them how they're doing. And um, if you get the sense that they're being overwhelmed, have an open and honest conversation with them. I think that's all, those are all really good tips, but I'm, I'm guessing that you're probably winning a lot of those steps and fitness challenges, aren't you? <laughs> Admittedly, yes, but as, <laughs> as an executive, I'm not eligible for a prize. Yeah, that won't stop you from being competitive, I'm sure. It won't, no. <laughs> so so th this, is, this is a question I, I think about all the time, and I'm having conversations with my boss about this, but if I, if I had extra budget, I know exactly where it would go, but how would you spend it? If you had an extra a, extra piece of budget that you thought you could invest in, in some type of program, um, piece of content, uh, where, where would you put that money? I'd actually put it into a combination of market research and brand, because as I said earlier, that brand is becoming more important and, um, and how you go out and project yourself during a challenging time. And also everything that we knew about our target market um, is changing. And so maybe the market research and what we knew about our audience a year ago um, has changed. And I think, you know, if I had, you know, this extra pool of budget, I would go out and I would uh, hire a firm to, to do some primary research to make sure that we are understanding the market that we're serving into. And then also using an a agency to help us define really what should our, how should we be messaging to that market now? So we've, um, we've done, I think, a decent job of it, but it hasn't necessarily been as data driven as I would like it to be or as research driven. So that's what I would do. I'm glad you mentioned investing in brand because that's, that's kind of where my, my thought is, because as we've pivoted, especially away from in-person events and we've gone, I'll say more digital. I don't want to say digital because we've been digital for a long time, but, but we've gone almost entirely digital. Um, I think it's been top of mind for marketers to try to figure out where the next lead is going to come from and get their demand gen numbers up and their pipeline numbers up. And, and I don't want to downplay that. That's all important, obviously, especially from a relationship to sales standpoint. But um, I think at that point, then your brand starts to take a back seat. So finding ways to enhance your brand and get just get it out there in front of your customers and prospects. I think it, that along with some of the programs that you're running, I think will only only kind of improve that. So I, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's an important aspect that I think we need to remember as marketers. Especially with companies, um, many of our um, customers or prospects had, I don't want to say budget cuts, but they things are coming under a lot more scrutiny now. Things yeah. are 
longer, there's more approvals needed. So if you just have your brand out there, if, they, if they're not ready to buy right now, if they don't have the budget right now, if you have the proper messaging in front of them and that content and that thought leadership, then when they, when they do have the budget and when they are ready to make a decision, you're top of mind. Have you, have you invested in research in the past at, yeah. at, at either this company or, or another company? Yes, at this company, we've actually done two separate market research projects um, focused on specific areas of the business. Because as I said at the beginning, we have uh, different markets and segments that we focus on. Uh, but we have, we did a, we did a project um, at the end of 2019. And then we did a project actually before I arrived um, at the beginning of 2018. And and what were you able to use that some of that data for? Was it towards making changes to your marketing programs, or did you actually uh, kind of release that data to the market? We did not release the data to the market. The project that we did was to really better understand the needs of our buyers to drive the product strategy and the messaging strategy, and to understand where within that market was our sweet spot. So we had the market research agency interview customers um, and also just folks out there in the market who might not be using us to understand what their perception was of us, where they saw our value so that we could take our value and amplify that. Because we didn't necessarily know, you know, we might be marketing this one area pretty heavily where truly our customers believe that our value is in another area. So what the market research did was in interviewing our customers, getting to the heart of what is our sweet spot? Why do our customers value us? And how can we make sure that we amplify that in our branding and messaging? So when you got the results back without getting too specific, was it something that solidified your thought processes or was it, was it really uh, a surprise to you or somewhere in the middle? It was not a surprise. Um, it validated what we thought, which we still think was definitely money well spent. Sure. Because we definitely wanted to make sh absolutely sure that we were going in the right direction and um, and it kept us focused. So when we had the research and we were like, yes, this is it, this is how we need to market ourselves, this is our sweet spot, it made sure that everything that we did was targeted to the right persona, to the right group, and that we didn't waste time and energy on folks who weren't necessarily part of that decision-making process. So speaking of time and energy, we've all had, I mean, at least some of us have had a little bit more time on our hands, especially uh, working remote. Um, and some folks I've seen have done a really good job of using that time to uh, do some training modules, learn more about either their market or uh, tactics, et cetera. What have you done during this period um, to stay on top of things? And, and what would you recommend in terms of a place to go or just areas of focus um, for people? Um, what we've really done is we've taken a step back and focused a lot, at least the executive team, on our on our growth strategy. So while we we didn't stop the marketing programs, but we slowed them down a little bit over the summer, and we took a step back and we took a critical look at how do we what's our growth strategy for all of the different areas of the business, and where do we need to focus, and how do we need to message. And we um, spend a significant amount of time, at least in one area of the business, on going through kind of a lean canvas product positioning exercise so that we it would drive the product strategy and the market strat strategy, the go-to-market strategy for one of the business areas. 
And that was critically important for us. And I think that if it had just been business as usual, we may have not, we, we probably would have done that, but we may have not had the focus that we did. No, I, I think that's, that's excellent. Is there, is there an area that you get really curious about? Uh, I know, and to some of my listeners, you and I used to work together. Um, it feels like forever ago now, but I know one of the things that you were really strong in, especially was your ability to write and content generation. Um, but I'm sure as you've gone through uh, your career, there's probably been other areas of focus that that you've either been curious about, curious about, or just you've wanted to strengthen. So, what are some of those areas? I would definitely, and as I said before, the the product, kind of the product positioning and ensuring that the product that we, working with our product team to ensuring that the roadmap that we has um, matches what the customer needs are. So taking the market research that we did at the end of 2019 and developing a product roadmap off of that is, is something that I had not historically been as focused on um, at this company or previous companies, but it was a definite need. So that was one area where we sort of really ramped up our efforts was on the strategy and product positioning side of things. So as you were working with some of the product managers, it sounds like, was there anything that you took away from those experiences you think would, uh, would be useful for some of our listeners to, to understand? I think, I think absolutely. I think what I learned was that it's, and I've known this, and I think everyone knows this, but you really need to actually go through and do this to really understand it. it it's all about the customer's pain points and the customer's problem. And it's it's not about, well, what's easy for us to put out there? Or what, what can we sort of package up that might be easy for us to do that could maybe sell and make a good margin on? That is not going to cut it. You really do need to understand what is going on in the market and take a close look at what you're offering today, how is it meeting customer needs, where are the gaps, what do customers still need, and um, come up with a strategy on how you can uh, profit, uh, profitably build a product to meet those needs. So I think, I think we tend to move quickly and forget that at the end of the day, this really is all about serving a customer need and understanding that customer need. So I would say to the just even though you know that, Remember that as you go through everything that you're doing with marketing. I think that's excellent. The, the thing I've also found too in working with product managers um, or engineering teams is as I get closer to the product, it helps me understand the best way to articulate it back out to the market. It, have you found that? Yes, absolutely. If you, if you don't really understand the product, you're just kind of, you end up sort of using buzzwords and you can't get as specific as you need to, and then you might not be able to be honing in on those key differentiators. No, I, I actually, I, I love that you said that because the number of times we see uh, buzz terms, buzz words out there that people have to stop and say, well, I don't, I don't really know what that means. I mean, for a while, digital transformation was just a buzzword. People didn't really understand what it meant. It just it, it, it meant, I guess, modernization or innovation, but what truly did it embody? And I think that's really good advice. I think understanding the customer, understanding the pain points to that level of granularity is really important. I think we all could say, if, if I ask somebody, what does your customer struggle with? I'm sure I could rattle off a couple things pretty quickly. But if they say, no, really, tell me their, tell me their pain points on a daily basis, I think some of us would struggle there. 
So I think the fact that you invested in that research, you're working with the, your PMs to, to really dig in and not only help it inform marketing, but help it inform the roadmap is, is incredibly important. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I was going to bring up that same term, digital transformation. <laughs> That'd be like the most overused word of the past two years. And um, with what we do with our Atlassian and Jira and Confluence, um, we our sales team says, oh, we offer digital transformation. And we do use that some uh, somewhat in our marketing. Um, but we make sure to go into the next level and be very specific about what that actually means. Um, we actually put out a, a ebook for the public sector about how uh, public sectors can use Atlassian collaboration tools to achieve their digital transformation goals. But we outlined what those goals might be. How do they how do they procure these tools in a streamlined and cost-effective way? And how do they effectively deploy them? So if you were looking back over the last, let's say even beyond a year, and you've you invested in that research um, and you've looked to kind of embody that into whatever product roadmap, what are some other ways that you've gotten closer to the customer beyond, say, uh, in-person events? Have you done any roundtables, even virtual roundtables or what are some of the ways you've gotten some of this information without spending money on research? Uh, we've actually done quite a few customer calls ourselves where we had um, a number of individuals from, from sales and from products and even our CEO uh, get on the call. So our CEO is definitely not afraid to roll up his, his sleeves and talk to any customer and understand their experience. And he does that quite frequently. And, um, and I've been on some of these calls. So I think that it's, it's a matter of making sure that the, the customer isn't just talking to their single point of contact uh, and that people from multiple areas of the business are actually talking to the customer and understanding what their experience is so that we can improve that experience. So if you do have that type of buy-in, which is excellent, by the way, I think whether you're a big company, a small company, if you're meeting with customers, especially strategic ones, the ability to pull in a CEO or even more so sometimes your your chief product officer, somebody who's really affecting roadmap. Um, it, it's crucially important. But what do you what have you done from a marketing perspective to ensure that the messaging that is going out from marketing, from sales, from executive leadership, from PM, from engineering, that it's all unified? Because sometimes that can be really dif difficult. Yeah, so absolutely. Unifying that message is absolutely critical. We have um, multiple meetings. So as I said earlier, we have a great sales and marketing relationship. Marketing is on all of the sales calls where we talk about uh, customers, whether it be we have a call, a call to review pot any potential churn that might be happening. So I'm aware of all the customers that are at risk. Um, I'm on all the calls where we talk about the pipeline. So I'm aware of all the deals that are going. Um, and then we also have regular sort of sales enablement meetings where we have the product team, we have the marketing team, we have the sales team, and we all get aligned on what the messaging is. And we actually had a larger sort of, um, you know how companies would typically have their sales kickoff. Uh, we had a sales kickoff virtually in July where we went through a lot of the messaging and a lot of the materials on how to do some of this new positioning that we rolled out. And um, I think it's just a matter of constantly um, a repetition and sharing that message, whether it's in a sales enablement training, if it's a sales kickoff, or if it's just a sales and marketing meeting, or if it's 
you know, literally me sending an email and saying, here's, you know, here's a, here's a deck with the new messaging in it. Um, it's, it's all very important. And I think one of the reasons why we do have such a cohesive um, approach is once again, the sales leader works with me on the personas, on the messaging. So I'm not developing this in a vacuum. I'm working cross-functionally with the sales team and the product team and with the CEO to make sure that all of us are aligned on, on what it is so that we can all make sure that we as executives are speaking in the same language to our teams. Yeah, I think that's, that's crucially important, especially if you're looking at it from the customer's perspective, they're, they're going to they're gonna interact with multiple people, right? And it, it could just be a, an initial touch by a salesperson. It could be messaging that they read coming from marketing. Again, it, it could be an executive sponsor for that account. So if they're getting three separate messages from three disparate groups within the organization, it's very difficult to then bring that customer back. And um, the fact that you're doing such a, such a good job of unifying that message from the top down, starting with that, that CRO relationship is, I think it's, it's incredibly important. It's something that we should look to model um, as marketers. But as you look over, and that's something positive that's been happening, but um, I always like to ask this question over the past year, even outside of the pandemic, um, yeah. what's been the biggest failure that you guys have had to overcome? And why do you think it happened? Well, as a company, we've had, uh, I won't, I'll reposition it. It's not necessarily a failure, but we have had a new CEO come in at the beginning of 2019 and uh, hire a new executive team from literally every executive has been hired by our CEO, who we all admire and respect very much. And I think um, what the, what the challenge has been is creating a culture where um, where you had different leaders just two years ago, an entirely different management team, and creating a culture where everyone is on the same page and everyone's working together. And um, and that's not easy. And it didn't always go smoothly, but I think we definitely learned how to build a more uh, cohesive and more productive and efficiently working team through having to rebuild the whole leadership team from scratch. No, I, I think that, that, I mean, anybody listening right now, I think would say when, whether it's an entire executive team, but even just a new CEO coming on board can be difficult to navigate no matter what department you're in. So I, I agree it, it's certainly a challenge and it sounds like um, your alignment with, uh, with every other organization within the company is kind of for your department helps uh, streamline and accelerate to get you guys back to where you, you need to be. Um, so that's excellent. Any um any final thoughts as we uh, as we close things out today? Um, final thoughts. I would just say that I, you know, when does the pandemic officially end? I don't actually think there's going to be a day where we say, "Oh, it's May twentieth, and the pandemic has officially ended today." I think it's just going to be this long kind of gradual return to normalcy, and so we're all going to have to uh, continue to adapt and grow and learn together and realize that we're all on this road together and never forget that um, teamwork is really what is going to pull us through in this difficult time. And when we do emerge on the other side of it, I think things are going to look a lot different, but I think that there are going to be 
a lot of things that we learned from a business perspective from this. So um, I'm definitely up to the challenge and I know the rest of my team is as well. Um, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Like you said, there isn't a, there isn't a hard date where we can say, okay, let's just get to this point and, and things will just go back. And even, even if there was a hard date and we said things are going to go back, what are they going to go back to? It's not, it's not going to be the same. So I think it's, uh, I think that's a good way to, to, to leave it is it, be ready for the unexpected because it's been, it's, it hasn't been what we expected so far. So why would we expect the future to be the same? Um, so really, really good advice. Elizabeth, thanks for your time today. We've, we've covered a lot. And I think uh, you provided a lot for my, uh, for my listeners to, to chew on. So I appreciate it. I really appreciate the opportunity so much. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more of our episodes by heading over to gmarku.com or on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And like I mentioned before, we're also now available on Amazon Podcasts. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Chittistray B. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.